Welcome all of you to uh, NCFC uh, today, and uh, uh, this might be a kind of weird opening, but uh, I would like to give it a try. How many of you have ever given a gift to your pastor for like birthdays or Christmas or anything like that? Don't raise your hand. It's a rhetorical question. I, I do want to make a request uh, for my birthday, which is already passed, but the Christmas is coming as well, right? And uh, the request is that each time when you're about to receive God's word and uh, when you come to service, please put your uh, smartphone down. That's all I'm asking. It's it's not that hard to ask, right? It doesn't cost you anything. Uh, Time that we um, enter into his presence together to encounter him and to receive his word is a precious time where uh, you should not be following that Pokemon, whatever, ball, whatever. Um, you're not even moving, but uh, uh, please shut it off. And I know that uh, you use smartphone for your Bible and all, but uh, uh, I already have it uh, in your bulletin as well as I'll read it to you. Uh, I would like to give you, ask you for utmost attention, to, not to me, but to our teacher, the Holy Spirit, uh, at this moment. So, um, yeah. All I ask for my birthday and for my Christmas gift, you don't have to give me anything. Just uh, put aside your smartphone because nowadays smartphone has become part of your body, it feels like. You you cannot really detach from. But at this precious hour, let your heart and mind and soul be focused on our Lord's um, words uh, that will set us free from many bondages and uh, just just muddiness uh, um, in how we see things in this life. Today we're going to look at uh, Luke chapter 16 verses 19 through 28. Again, if you don't have a Bible uh, with you, just pay attention to it. Uh, You don't have to turn on your smartphone uh, unless you uh, promise to put it down afterwards. That's okay. Um, Today's our uh, third series of uh, nine um, Uh, Christian doctrines for this month of July and August. And uh, today, as the title suggests, uh, we are going to talk about heaven and hell. Luke chapter 16, verse 19 through 28. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him into uh, Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried in Hades uh, where he was in torment. He looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in the water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you receive your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. And beside all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from uh, there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. 
please continue to pray for uh, Bernie and Maggie and Sierra uh, with their uh, newly adopted uh, baby Vivian as they uh, travel out to San Francisco area in the coming week uh, for the uh, heart surgery. And I just want to take time to thank uh, all the pastors and leaders and counselors who went to Week of Hope uh, and they came back all safely, uh, more tanned, uh, but also they had a wonderful time. And uh, please continue to pray for um, all the uh, short-term mission um, to come back. And uh, YUM in Texas is still going on. And um, uh, just uh, VVS and Timothy Retreat that's coming up in August. In Job chapter 14, verses 1 and 2, Job said these words, Mortals born of woman, are of a few days and full of trouble. They spring up like flowers and wither away like fleeting shadows. They do not endure. Uh, This was echoed in James when he says, what is life? And as he concludes, life is like a vapor uh, in the air that appears a little bit and disappears quickly. But if you go back to Job chapter 14, verse 14, he writes, or he, he speaks, if someone dies, will they live again? If someone dies, will they live again? Like Job, all of us have been challenged by this question. Is there life after death? Exactly what happens to us after we die? Do we simply cease to exist? Do everybody go to the same place or do we all go different places? It happened again this week and almost every week uh, we had news about killing and dying and And in Nice, France, a few days ago, a terrorist just using a a box truck uh, to mow down about 80-plus people. Many of them were children. A day after, we see over 200 people died in Turkey, a military coup. A week ago, we saw five uh, Dallas white officers being gunned down uh, by disgruntled, um, very racist-fueled, racism-fueled hate. As a student of the Word of God, there are three things that we can be certain of in in this uncertain time as well as uncertain life. I don't know whether you know this, there are three things that are certainly it's going to happen no matter what happens around us and no matter what happens overseas. And even what happens to us. Number one, as based on Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27, where it says, just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment, we will all die someday. Someday my heart will stop beating anymore. No matter how much I try to delay my mortality by doing this, by taking this pill or that pill, someday my heart, as well as your heart, will stop beating, and you will die. And as a pastor, I've buried six-hour-old newborn to almost 100-year-old. It is certain, and none of us are exempted, as Scripture said, it is appointed unto man who wants to die, that we will all die someday. I don't know exactly when, but we will die. Second certainty based on scripture is that every person in this world fits into one of these two categories. You are saved or you are lost. 
You are a believer or you are unbeliever. And someday as, as you are appointed to die, then it comes judgment. You will be either judged by the judgment seat of Christ, if, if you're a believer, or if you're an unbeliever, you'll be judged in the great white throne judgment. Every person, both saved or not, believe or not, will be judged. That's for certain. And based on Philippians chapter 2, Paul said, this is a third certainty. Every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord. By that time, there is no more denying of who Jesus is, that you will be forced, you will be forced to confess that Jesus is Lord, unless you already confess voluntarily based on faith that Jesus is Lord. So three things that are certain in this uncertain time, very tumultuous and even uncertain life. We will die, we will face judgment, and we will confess that Jesus is Lord. I don't know if you read this book or not. There's a book called Love Wins by pastor and author Rob Bell. And it's a book about heaven and hell, the fate of every person who ever lived. And he caused quite a stir uh, in a Christian community by rejecting hell and promoting and teaching universalism. And universalism is that all mankind will eventually be saved and everybody will go to heaven. And in his book, Rob Bell argued that a loving God would never send people to eternal suffering. He asked these specific question. Will billions of billions of people burn forever in hell? And how could that God be ever good? How could that uh, ever be good news? Sounds very logical. Sounds like it's a good question to ask. But I think he's way off. For once and for all, I'm going to try to settle this question about how can a loving God send people to hell? And and to first, I think we need to understand the definition of the term loving God. How can a loving God send people to hell? You see, our culture defines a loving God as what? This non-confrontational being who should tolerate and accept anything and everything we want to do. That's how we perceive a loving God supposed to be. I mean, is it loving for me as a parent to just tolerate if my kids are shooting drugs and beating up other kids and go wild and crazy? Is that that love if I just let it slide? True love confronts, true love intervenes, true love even disciplines because, because you love. In John, 1 John 4.16, clearly says God is love. You know, God does not possess like how you and I possess love. Very definition of God is love, the definition of God is love, that, that he cannot do anything but love. In other words, God cannot do anything that is unloving. So when you ask question, how can a loving God send people to hell? You need to understand the true depth and the width and the length and the height of love of God. 
that as I said, we cannot understand is unfathomable, but the very nature of God is love. Therefore, therefore, he gives us the freedom. He gives us autonomy. I mean, he did not make us a robot so that we can obey every command that he commands. The fact that that he loved is because he gave us a free will and the choice to make. choice to either obey or disobey and there are always consequences about the choices that we make or don't make, isn't it? And the question about how can a loving God send people to hell, you need to challenge people if they ask that question about the word send. The reason that I'm asking you to focus on the word is because send always tied to the sender, isn't it? I mean, if I were to send Elder Sang, you know, like a a card or gift, I'm the one, if if this is a gift, well, it doesn't look like a nice gift, but gift cannot just suddenly fly over there and and land it in Elder Sang's lap. I have to take all the action of sending the card or a gift. And since God has entrusted and given us the freedom to choose, the sender becomes us. It's not how can a loving God send people to hell. That's a wrong question. We send ourselves to hell. We have a freedom to choose. People try to disregard the personal responsibility in the process of cornering God and and challenging Christians. How can a loving God send people to hell? No, God doesn't. It is God's will for them to be saved and and go to heaven where his presence will be eternal. It's never the will of God. And thank God he loves you enough, loved you enough that he didn't make you a robot, but he gave you free will, autonomy, choices. C.S. Lewis summarized this truth wonderfully in his book, The Great Divorce, where he he, uh, reflected upon heaven and hell. And it's in your note. It says, he wrote, there are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those to, to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. All that are in hell chose it. It's up to you. It's up to me. It's not up to God. There's so much misconception, I believe. There's so much misunderstanding when it comes to heaven and hell. To start it off, a a recent Gallup poll uh, uh, did a a polling, and and you know how many percentage of people in America believe in heaven versus uh, believe in hell? 85% of Americans believe in uh, the actual um, reality of heaven. Do you think it would be more or less than 85% of people who believe in hell? 65% believe, I mean, there's there's discrepancy here. Why do you think that? For a while, uh, first, the good reason is obviously because uh, heaven is a a wonderful place to be, and uh, this is a bad idea. We don't want to go there, right? And people don't want to go there. But more than that, I think there is something that is very revealing about this Gallup poll. that a lot of people have this false, uh, uh, very uh, misconception and the misunderstanding. And some of the common misconception, misunderstanding is, uh, is that good people will go to heaven 
and the bad people will go to hell. Right? I mean, you go to funeral and you tend to say or hear things, oh, he or she is in heaven, despite that he or she never confessed that his or her faith in Jesus Christ as a personal savior. You you, you don't hear people saying in, in the funeral, oh, he's in hell right now. They're always in heaven. They're in a better place. And you know for certain that person never confessed their faith in Jesus Christ. And some some of the misconception is that uh, that when you go to hell, you know, uh, Satan and the devils is all ruling, you know, president and vice president and and all that stuff. No, Scripture said they're being tormented as people who send themselves to hell. It's not like there's a hierarchy. It's a place of torment, anguish. And Satan and devil is tormented as much as those who send themselves to hell. And of course, Hollywood makes it as a cartoonish and and make joke and mockery out of, you know, um, hell being, uh, you know, it's it's okay place. (laughs) Some of this misconception about heaven and hell stems from uh, what I call incomplete understanding of three things. We talked about three certainty, but let me talk about three things that people are, are not completely, uh, fully been taught or understood. It's the nature of God, nature of sin, and nature of of man, and nature of sin. The people are a little bit off when it comes to understanding who God is, and uh, who we are as a sinner, and the nature of sin. And we talked about this a little bit last week, if you're uh, with us last week. That God in his, you know, uh, uh, eternity... but also in his perfect justice and perfect holiness, along with mercy and grace, he weaves all these perfect attributes of God. And because of his holiness and perfection, the most moral person that you can think of at this very time is a vile, wretched person in the eyes of God without Jesus. If Mother Teresa, I mean, she passed away, if she were to stand up here, okay, if she were still living, if she's without Jesus, everything that she did, it's, wow, we we can applaud and, you know, we praise her for her work in Calcutta. But in the eyes of God, that's a vile, wretched person who deserves eternal separation and condemnation. The nature of God is such that don't just think about love and mercy and grace and kind and good and all that. Don't forget, He is just and He's perfect and He's holy. And He will not let any kind of ugliness, dirty sinfulness enter into His perfect presence of God. And then also, our, our, our nature is such that I've said this over and over again. I hope you get this. You are a sinner, not because you sinned. You sinned because you're born sinners. We're naturally born sinners. And sinners, what? Deserve death. Somebody has to pay the debt. Forgiveness is not enough. By paying the debt, you are forgiven. See? So Jesus Christ, he came as an incarnate, and closed himself humanity, and went to the cross voluntarily, where he said, it is finished. 
And God the Father was pleased because it was acceptable sacrifice, acceptable payment for the debt that you and I have incurred. And by believing in Jesus and the work of the cross, guess what? Now we not only know who God is, I mean, we know, I mean, he revealed to us very plainly, but we know that we are saints. We're children of God, and we have been saved from the power and the penalty of sin. You need to understand these things because the heaven and hell, as much as we might have misunderstanding, it is a real, prepared, tangible places. Did you know that Jesus spoke more about hell than heaven to warn people rather than bring hope to people about talking about heaven? He spoke more about warning people about dangers of hell. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus said the punishment in hell is just as everlasting as life in heaven. That we are people of eternity. Just because we enter into hell, let's say, doesn't mean that we end. It's an eternal suffering as well as bliss in the presence of God. This is real, prepared, tangible places. And let me talk about hell first and then heaven next. I don't know why I chose that way. But in order for us to understand the real place called hell, you need to understand the word uh, hell means. And Hades are used, uh, but mostly in New Testament, Gehenna is used. And Gehenna is is a a combination of two words, Gehe, which means a valley, and Hinnom, which means uh, sorrow. So it's a valley of sorrow. Even the name of hell, original meaning, is something that we probably would not uh, like. And this valley of sorrow, Gehenna, uh, has a literal origin that's located in the southwest uh, side of Jerusalem. And then during the... um, 700 BC, during the 700 BC, at this uh, Valley of Sorrow, King Ahaz and King Manasseh sacrificed their son to the uh, false god and the pagan god of Molech. And it became a place of, uh, of death, sacrifice, human sacrifice. And later, the, this Valley of Sorrow, Gehenna, became a garbage dump where dead animals and garbage were taken to be burned. So you continue to see a billow of, uh, uh, you know, a smoke that comes up from the burning of garbages and, 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 and the sacrifice of dead animals. And the filth and the smell and the rubbish, this is the worst possible place that you could ever imagine. And such is the imagery in which Bible teaches us that hell is a real place where the wicked and the unbelievings are sent after their physical death. Now listen very carefully, because this may go go by really fast, but I want you to really understand this place called hell. It is an actual place of torment, physically, emotionally, relationally, spiritually, and eternally. Did you hear that? This is an actual prepared place for those wicked and unbelieving souls after they die physically. And it is a place of torment physically, emotionally, relationally, spiritually, eternally. And listen very carefully. It's totally avoidable. 
Amen. It's totally avoidable. I know there's a teaching or belief called uh, annihilationism where people believe, let's say you go to hell and after a certain time, you'll be just poof and you'll be annihilated. You'll be gone forever. That's not true. As Jesus said, as much as there's eternity in heaven, there's eternity hell and that you will be tormented for all eternity. And the word torment, agony or anguish, we're we're talking more about duration rather than intensity of the pain or torment here. Whenever the Bible talks about hell. Once again, it is an actual, prepared, tangible place where wicked and unbelievers will go and will be tormented physically, relationally, emotionally, spiritually, and eternally, and it's absolutely avoidable. Jesus said there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth in hell. You know what this means? It means emotional suffering. There's eternal sadness. You know, one thing that you're not going to find in in hell is that there is no Alzheimer's or dementia. You're going to have crystal clear memories that there will be eternal regrets of not making decisions to say yes to the Lord Jesus. Hell is a complete place of complete darkness. I mean, you know, I went to, uh, uh, how many of you been to Luray Cavern? Uh, Oh, wow, okay. Uh, I'm about to take my family to Luray Cavern one day. Uh, I was there probably in the late, 70 or early 80s. It was a long time ago. My parents took us there. And uh, do they still turn off the light, by the way? Yes? When I was there, they did. Or maybe the light went off or something. But they turn off the light and they uh, all gather us in the middle of the place and they uh, turn off the light. And you know what? You cannot even see what's right in front of you even though your eyes open. It's that pitch dark. Now, I want you to... Just multiply a thousand times or a hundred thousand times. That's what hell be like. But you know, on top of that, there's no sound. There's no sight. There's no smell, no touch, nothingness. Think about what would that be like. For one hour, one day, one week, one month. And how about forever? Think about that. It's an eternal darkness, but also it's an eternal loneliness because, you know what, you're not going to be sing, you're not gonna sitting around the campfire and, 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 and singing kumbaya and, and making s'mores around the fire. Mark Twain said, you know, I would like to take heaven for the climate and hell for society, hell for people. I, you know, it's a good idea, but you can't because your friends won't have any time for you there. As a matter of fact, as I said, it's a place of torment relationally. Hell is nothing but yourself for all eternity. And C.S. Lewis said that. You should be thankful for the friendship and relationship that God has blessed you with. I know it's not perfect. But hell is nothing but yourself for all eternity. In other words, this is a place of torment 
This is a place where you're going to feel torment and anguish. Day after day after day after day after day forever. Physically, emotionally, relationally, spiritually, as God is not present, and it will be eternal. And it's totally avoidable. In today's text, both a rich man and Lazarus dies. And by the way, I don't want you guys to jump on the wagon and say all the rich will be hell-bound and all the poor will be heaven-bound. Where does the Bible say that? No way. That's not true. Some of the most poorest person will end up in hell. Some of the most richest person will go to heaven. It's not the the wealth or, or lack of wealth that determines it, obviously. But it's how you lived your life. Especially in this case, this person never paid any attention to the the need that was out there right outside of his gate. Even dog was, you know, uh, probably treated better. But anyway, both men died. And Lazarus went to heaven, and as you know, rich men went to hell. And it's very interesting, isn't it? The rich man never says, how did I end up here? Richmond never said in this passage, how how did I end up here? In other words, every sinner in hell has a full realization that they deserve to be there. They know as soon as as you get there. Because they did not, you know, contest it about them being there. Saying, hey, I don't deserve here. I'm innocent, you know. How come I end up here? Isn't it too much kind of, you know, can you turn... Uh, turn on the AC a little bit? No. In hell, understand that there will be disappointment with decisions you've made. And I don't know if you ever heard the cry from hell because it is right here in this passage there is a cry that is loud and clear that is coming out from hell. It's not about just, you know, uh, uh, you know, rich man saying to Abraham, please send Lazarus to dip his finger in a water and, and let me just, you know, get a little bit of that because I'm in torment. No, more than that. The cry from hell is that just as this rich man says, please send somebody to my house. I still have my five brothers and I do not want them to end up like me. That's the cry from hell, and I want you to understand that. I want you to hear that at this hour. That's continually being echoed. Send somebody to my house, to my loved ones, to my friends, because I do not want him or her to end up like uh, how I ended up. Brothers and sisters and friends, the greatest truth about hell is that it is a choice. You don't have to go there. It's totally avoidable. I don't want you to go there. Turn to your neighbor and say, I don't want you to go to hell. Go ahead. I hope you don't just hear the last part, go to hell. (laughs) I don't want you to go to hell. It's your choice. Hell is not a place of punishment. but it's a place of choice. And you don't have to go there. And I don't want you to go there. 
If there is one echo, the voices that continue to reverberate from the mouth of uh, Moses, he stood in front of people and said, before you, there's life and death. Before you, there's prosperity and destruction. Before you, there's a blessing and cursing. And he says, choose life. Choose blessing. Choose prosperity. Again, God loved us enough that he did not make us robot. He gave us free will. It's up to you to choose to believe or not believe, to accept or reject Jesus Christ. I want all of you to choose heaven, of course, by trusting in the work of Jesus on the cross. And, and let me just talk a little bit about heaven because, you know, hell is kind of depressing, but now this, hopefully this will lift you up a little bit. Now, while hell is a place of destiny for all those who reject Christ and do not believe in Jesus Christ by their own choice, the opposite, heaven, is a place Actual prepared place, as Jesus said, I'm going ahead of you, prepare this wonderful place for you, okay? For those who believe and accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and the Lord. And now, I mean, you're probably going to maybe scratch your head, and you know, there there are three heavens. It seems like the Bible is teaching there's a first heaven, second heaven, third heaven. You know, let me just quickly go over that. First heaven literally is uh, skies that you see. the firmament where the birds fly. That's the first heaven. Second heaven is where Star Wars and Star Trek was taking place, you know, outer space. That's the second heaven. But we're talking about third heaven, where Paul went, where where John was privileged enough to see and wrote about what heaven is like in Revelation 21 and 22. Let me just say, heaven is a, because of its presence of God, Now, hell is absence of God. It's dark. It is eternal torment. Heaven is where God dwells and God reigns. And and this is a place of unspeakable joy, unspeakable peace, perfect in everything. Everything. It's a place where you and I should always long for. Especially, you know, when, when things in life... doesn't, you know, go too well and, and, you know, very difficult uh, times of your life. For believers, heaven is our eternal hope. Someday, we will get there. And the someday could be next week, someday could be next month, someday could be next year, we will get there. If you confess confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is the Lord and Savior, then this is the eternal place for you, not the eternal torment, emotionally, physically, spiritually, and eternally. But this is an eternal bliss. And I like to call, uh, uh, personally, heaven is a place of no mores. No mores. (laughs) Here comes. There will be no more sickness. Amen. I guess all of you are healthy. Okay, there's no more funeral homes in heaven. There's no hospitals in heaven. You know, one of the most privileged and esteemed uh, occupation on earth is doctors. They'll be out of their jobs. There'll be no more pains. There'll be no more diabetes. 
There'll be no more heart disease. You don't need AC. The reason I said it is our AC broke down this week. So we need to have an AC fix. We don't don't need AC. How about there'll be no more nursing home, no more mental institution, no more prisons, no more divorce, no more taxes, no more bills, no more rapes, no more racism, no more ISIS. No more transgender bathroom issues. No more depression. No more drugs. No more alcohols. No more worries. No more crime of any kind. No more death. No more sorrow. I can stand all day talking about no more. This is a place of no more. But then there's a plenty of things that waits for us. First, very first, is what? We'll be reunited with a loved one who went before us. By his or her confession, we'll be reunited. I look forward to seeing my dad again. I look forward to seeing some of the members that I was privileged to be pastor who have gone before me. We'll get to see Moses. We'll get to see Abraham. We'll get to see all these men and women of faith. And most of all, you get to see Jesus. You get to see Jesus. I know some of you think, you know what? I feel like heaven is going to be a boring place. Is that all we're going to do? Just hang out? You know? Well, I I just gave you a list of all the no mores. Isn't that enough? But you got ah, all these wonderful things. If you're a golfer, I know I'm going to stretch a little bit. Every shot that you make, you'll be making hole in one. If you're a bowler, you'll be bowling 300 every time. Now, that sounds like boring. (laughs) But you know, it will be just perfect. peace in his presence where you will finally find rest for your soul. Brothers and sisters and friends, when we die, it's not the end. As we sing in hymnals sometime, this world is is not our home. We're just passing through. We're just a a pilgrim or sojourners. We're just passing through. And as you look to the left and look to the right, guess what? This world is full of imperfection. There's nothing that's perfect about this world. Are your relationship perfect? No. Are your family perfect? No. Is your work perfect? No. Is your health perfect? No. Nothing on this earth. Everything is broken because of sin. because of sin. But God remedied that. God cured all that by sending His only Son to die on the cross for our sins. So that one day you'll be entering into eternal bliss, a place called heaven rather than hell.
You know, I read this uh, analogy a long time ago, and it still stuck with me. And I think this is a very proper analogy. And that is, you know, um, in certain train stations, and let's say this is a platform, and this train goes to the northbound or eastbound, and this train goes to westbound or southbound, okay? And let's say this is heaven and this is hell. uh, Northbound is heaven and southbound is hell. And all of us are standing in this platform, okay? Those who believe are ready to get on this train. Those who reject Christ and do not accept Christ, we are ready to board this side of the train, this side of the track. We as a people who are persuaded and believe, you know, we're not going to just look for the train that's coming and say, oh, the train is coming. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And just tidy up this platform area and clean this area and and do some reconstruction and and make it really nice and tidy and neat. That's not why we're standing on this platform for the right to catch the next train. We're sharing the same platform. What do you have to do? You have to plead with this person and say, don't get on this train. You need to come to this side and get on this train. What would you do? Would you just say, oh, you know, don't go there. Just come on here and join us. No, you have to do everything you can to help this person to change their mind and change their heart by the work of the Holy Spirit so that they can stand on this side and ready to get on train to go up to heaven. We're on the same platform. Paul wrote, Romans chapter 1, he made everything so plain and clear about his will and who he is. And I love Romans chapter 120 where it says, people are without excuse. Turn there. You have no excuse about rejecting who God is and rejecting the wonderful gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. But it's still your choice. It's still your choice. As I said, hell is not a place where the uh, a place of punishment of the wicked and unbeliever. Hell is a place of choice. Ultimately, it's up to you, and it's up to me. In John three eighteen, it's in your uh, bulletin. Perhaps this is the simplest term, simplest explanation of who will go to heaven and who will go to hell. John 3, 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son, Jesus Christ. that apart from him, there is no salvation. There is only one way, one gate, one road to heaven, and his name is Jesus. Do you think God is in heaven and wringing his hands and saying, whoa, those those guys are suffering in hell. Do you think God is really having just wonderful time of seeing people end up in hell? Is that 
your perception of God? God does not judge you based on good works and bad works. You got more bad works, so you are going to hell. You have have more good works, you go to heaven. That's not how God determines. As we uh, wrap up um, our portion of this worship, I thought this was cute, but it was a little bit off the truth. that a Sunday school teacher asked her five-year-old class this question. How do do we get to heaven? One five-year-old boy raised his hand and said, You must die first, teacher. You must die first. Somewhat true, but the real truth is that we have to die to our sin and born again by the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to be born again by His grace through faith. You know, I died about 28 years ago. I died to my sin. And I want to say I no longer live because I died. I identify, as Paul identified, his death with Jesus' death on the cross I died, and I no longer live, but it is Christ who lives in and through me. And that's the purpose and the reason for our being here today. And even as you walk out this room today, I want you to settle this first, but continue to live out your faith It's no longer that I live because I died and sinned with Christ by grace through faith. It's no longer my works, as it says. Rather, God wants to use us to do good works of grabbing somebody's arm and say, no, please don't get on that train. You need to get on this train. Here, stand with me. I know many of you have been praying for lost husband or wife or children or your mom or your dad or your friends. As I encourage you, keep on praying. You have to keep on going after. You can't just, you know, you try a handful of times and he or she never listened, therefore I'm just going to wait for that train to come. No. Until you get on that train, you need to really help that person to get over to your side so that he or she will have an opportunity to spend their eternity in heaven rather than eternal torment. This is serious. This is really about life and death, not just physically, but eternally. Young people, you may think you are invincible, you have a whole life ahead of you. What guarantee do you have? I'm not... you know, playing a a fear card here. Let me play the truth card. No one knows in this uncertain time, especially. But let your eternity be secure in Jesus Christ. And if your eternity is secure in Jesus Christ, go and, and do the good works as far as saving people helping people, winning people to the laws, and helping them to become disciples.
Amen? Amen? Don't just, okay, well, heaven and hell message, sure. Okay. No. If you're not 100% sure, deep inside that you're confident that even if I were to die tonight, that I will be in the presence of God forever, if you have any doubts, or if you're not sure, talk to somebody about it. Pray. And make sure that part is settled for all eternity. Let me invite the worship team. And uh, I would like to just ask you to close your eyes and, and heads bowed. You know, we hear and and we we even say when we go through some very difficult time in life, things like we're going through hell or life um, is like a living hell. I understand that life can be cruel at times. But our lowest and our worst day on earth will seem like a Hawaiian vacation compared to hell. And don't ever, 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 you have absolutely no right to say, go to hell to somebody in their face. We send ourselves. God does not send anyone to hell. It is clear that the will of God is that all to be saved. And for those who are already saved, don't just stand there and looking for the train to come so that you can hop in. Not a moment to waste. If your family, loved ones, are not yet saved, you need to fast and pray and do everything you can under the power of the Holy Spirit to be used of God, to be agent of salvation. You're not the one who's saving. It is the Holy Spirit who saves. But God chooses us, an instrument like us, to save someone. Don't give up praying for your loved ones. And, you know, as I ended, if you have any doubt about your salvation, that if you were to die tonight and You're not sure that where you'll spend your eternity? Please. I plead with you. Settle that. Settle that question. Today before you leave this place. Our prayer team will be waiting. Our pastors are waiting. I want you to have that full undeniable assurance and confidence in this tumultuous and uncertain world that we're living in. And even our life is so fragile. We can't be here one moment and we can't be gone next moment. But we will live for all eternity for sure, either heaven or hell. You need to settle that before you leave this place. Our prayer team will be here.
will answer your question and will lead you in prayer and will pray for you and pray with you. But from where you're sitting, if you can hear my voice, and I hope you all do, I'm so thankful that we have this opportunity because when we get the end of the line, either heaven or hell, as we enter into eternity, there'll be no more choices. We can make choices here, but once we enter eternity, there is no more choice. There is such a chasm that you cannot go across one place to next, heaven to hell, hell to heaven. I mean, (laughs) if you're in heaven, why would you want to go to hell? Brothers and sisters and friends, If you have not yet placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior and the Lord of your life, now no one is looking and their heads are bowed. Can I ask you right now, as God sees, only God sees, I want everybody to close their eyes. Kids, you guys too, close your eyes. Let only God sees your, your decision today. Would you go ahead and put your hand in your heart, over your heart? One, two, three, four. Well, about a couple handful of people. If you have placed your hand over your heart, um, yeah, praise God. Thank God for his conviction. And I do want you to please come up to a prayer team and just receive prayer and uh, yeah be confirmed in your heart today that there is nothing that can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus and it says not even death, not even hell so make that decision today and for the rest of you I know you're not all believers but you still have a, a struggle to make that decision Please seek God. Please seek the truth. Please ask um, those who are in church leadership or deacons or elders. You know, have a coffee time with them and just ask a very honest. It's eternity is at stake, so ask. And then hopefully that you will come to a place of decision of accepting Christ as your Savior and the Lord. And for the rest of you, again, I challenge and encourage you to go and make disciples. That's all I will say. Go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. Whoever lives and believes in me will never die. God, thank you for that wonderful promise. Thank you for that wonderful assurance. Lord, I pray for those who have placed their hands over their hearts. Their decision is one of saving faith, authentic faith, life-giving, eternal, life-giving faith. I welcome them as my brothers and sisters. I pray that their names will be written on on the book of life that someday when the roll calls are made that their names will be called and forever and ever they will be 
in the presence of God for all eternity. Bless them. And Lord, in their earthly journey, let them fix their eyes on the author and the perfecter of their faith, who is Jesus Christ. Getting rid of those things that is easily clinging unto you in this race, things like sins and guilt and shame. Help us to just run hard. Help us to run perseveringly with determination and with the sense of anticipation that in the twinkle of an eye that we'll be ushered into your presence forever and ever. What a blessed hope that we have in Christ Jesus. And we thank you. And Lord, once again, encourage this body to be the living body of Jesus, to go and represent and to share the good news with the lost, pleading with them to change their directions and to get on the train with us, to go in the presence of God for all eternity. May you all be done. May your kingdom come. May you use each and every one of us for your glory and for your kingdom. We thank you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand and let's respond with a couple of praise songs.